Hey friends, it's Eric here. Thanks for listening to the Building Us podcast. Hey, I want to invite you to follow me on my new show, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School, where I take a deeper dive into money and financial topics. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School. I hope to see you there. What I can do as a teacher is tell students that their voices matter, and their experiences matter, and that they need to use their voices, they need to vote, they need to speak out, and they need to be active to create the world that they want to live in. And my goal is to build trust among all our students and with myself, with them and me together, that we can talk about things and learn from it without anger and enmity. Welcome back to the Building Us podcast, a show all about love, money, relationships, and all of that good stuff. This is Dr. Matt Morris, couples therapist, family therapist, joined as always by my co-host, Eric Garcia, financial planner and financial extraordinaire. Eric, how are you doing? Matt, I'm good. And I know our listeners cannot see us right now. But uh, it seems like I've noticed a trend. Every one of our shows, it starts off with with one of us like laughing, trying to keep a straight face as we do as we do the introduction. We do. There's a lot of laughter going on right now yeah. on the podcast. That's good. Yeah, that's good. If laughter is good. Laughter is good for relationships. It is. It is. It's wonderful uh, medicine for relationships. Um, people who laugh together tend to love together. And, and so laughter is always a good sign in, in the relationship, just a little bonus tip there. Hey, do you I, actually give, do you give that advice? I'm curious. Have you ever given that advice? Like go to like a comedy club or go watch, you know, a yeah. Yeah. Act or something? Yeah. Um, do things that make you do things that cause laughter together. Certainly a tip for, for working with couples, you know, sometimes whatever they're dealing with is so heavy that, it, it's kind of stifling the laughter. And so yeah. finding some way to bring that back and it can just be just um, reminiscing old memories, um, laughing at the kids, laughing at yourself, finding something on, on TV or Netflix that you can laugh at definitely helps. Finding something on TV. It's so much heavy stuff on TV. There is some heavy, some heavy, stuff. heavy stuff. Yeah. We are, we're, we're currently recording this episode uh, just in the run up last few weeks before the 2020 presidential election. So you can imagine a lot of heavy stuff. On last night TV. was the first debate. The first presidential debate. Yeah. If, if you want to say debate. School fight, schoolyard fight. I don't yeah. know. High yeah. conflict couple session is what it looked like from my perspective. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I've, I've felt like that moderator at times. Hey, well, speaking of uh, politics, at least, uh, we're not really talking about conflict today. We're not really talking about um, uh, the presidential election or, or debates or any of that stuff. But we do have a civics teacher on today. Civics teacher. I don't, Sweet. Yes. We're going to learn some stuff today, Eric. We're going to learn. So our, our guest today is Mary Dompew, a civics teacher in New Orleans at a, a local high school. Um, Mary Don, you and I are also close friends. 
Um, you're a mom in addition to be a teach in addition to being a teacher. And what I uh, really brought you on today or asked you to come on today to talk about is the experience of, of returning to school, both as a mom and a teacher. So um, as we get into that topic, um, take a minute, say hello and introduce yourself. Hi, um, my name's Mary Dawn Pugh. I have been in New Orleans since 2002. Um, went to law school, uh, worked at a terrific law firm, um, did a couple things and ended up uh, teaching school. I actually substitute taught at um, a local youth facility and realized how much I enjoyed teaching. So got a master's in teaching and almost finished, almost graduating with a master's in teaching at Xavier and just realized teaching high school is absolutely joyful. So there we go. Civics and geography. What is it about teaching high school that, that you enjoy most? The students. They're so much fun. They make me feel younger and they just, they're so open and they want to talk about things and they're engaged and, um, and sometimes they're silly, but sometimes they're really deep and thoughtful and the best moments are when I can learn from them. So they're just, it's the most fun age to me. That was in, I think I took civics in ninth grade. What, what, how old are kids these days taking civics? Well, it's they're seniors. Mine are seniors, which is awesome. Actually, I took it when I was in 10th grade, I believe. Um, so I have uh, freshman geography and uh, senior civics, and it's a great year for them to be studying government because um, I can you know, harangue them to go register to vote and uh, and all that. So, um, you know, it's a good time. I think for government to be in the high schools. Yeah. It's like, a like a textbook in one hand and the newspaper in the other, although it's, those are antiquated examples, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say, um, the, the news newspaper on my screen and a constitution in one hand, because some yeah. textbooks for government and civics are extremely boring, but, um, I didn't, I didn't say that. Did I? You know, you well, I, yeah. But you know, my I think my civics class was taught by the a coach. Mine too. So, but you know, the thing that we had to learn and find was like, where is the track? Where is the football <laughs> field? Stuff like that. Um, well, one of the things I really enjoy is, like I said, I, is one of my primary texts. Uh, I use the Constitution more than a textbook, which you wouldn't think would be so silly, except. Um, you know, we, we're literally reading the Constitution and what's in it and making sure students understand how the electoral college works and how you become an elector and um, that we're not actually voting for the president on um, on November 3rd. We're voting for the electors to vote in December for the president. Um, and we're learning about how, uh, well, especially last spring, and then kids are still interested in the actual mechanics of impeachment. Uh, one thing I find is a big misunderstanding is people talk about, oh, impeachment 
And they assume that if a president is impeached, they're immediately thrown out of office. And that's not the way it works. So uh, my students laugh that I just drill them about like some of the mechanics of these things, um, because I tell them if they were ever uh, caught by one of those late night comics doing those Jay, like Jay Leno would do jaywalking and ask questions um, mm. about like politics or I've seen people do it about geography and adults are clueless in those videos. And I'm like, my students will not be clueless. My students you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that yeah. teacher. So uh, they hear the same things over and over again sometimes. What a, what a, like a, a, an interesting time for a student, for a senior to be learning about their rights and duties of citizenship. My goodness. What a, like, is this just, I don't know how long you've been teaching civics, but this has to be just, from an interest standpoint, like I imagine there's a lot of people, especially young people who are so, so, so principled, right? So idealistic right now at, at 17 and 18 who, who are just engaged. They are, they're very engaged. And uh, we don't, as you, as you might expect, and as I think is appropriate, we don't argue politics in the classroom. But what I can do as a teacher as is tell students that their voices matter and their experiences matter and that they need to use their voices, they need to vote, they need to speak out, and they need to be active to create the world that they wanna live in. So I spend more time doing that than talking about, um, you know, certainly individual politicians, though we talk about everything from taxes to free speech to, uh, you know, forms of government, but we do it in a way where we can learn a lot and discuss things without, um, degenerating into what some people might have seen last night in the classroom. Oh, that's good to hear. It yeah. does, the classroom doesn't turn into a couples therapy session. It sounds no, like. no, they're actually um, some of those kids are more mature than I am, so it's pretty awesome, actually. You know, you, I, you and I have not talked a, uh, a lot about your your law career. You you went to law school, um, were an attorney. Um, how does how does being an, an attorney advantage you in in teaching civics and geography? Oh, especially in civics, just a, a great understanding of the the way that the law works. And um, that one thing that's nice is kids are like, "Oh, you're a lawyer! Wow!" So they somehow just believe me more. I don't know. So it's it's almost a great responsibility, but it's. Um, it's a real comfort and facility with the material and with things like um, the constitution and the amendments and certain uh, everything from separation of powers to checks and balances. And we can do it in a very, um, in a very grounded way, grounded in Supreme court cases and grounded in text of the constitution. And it's, it's much more practical, I think, that way. Uh, when we talk about searches and seizures and Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth mm -hmm. Amendment and what you should do, kids were really interested in what happens if you get pulled over, for example. And to be able yeah. to talk about Supreme Court cases, and we would bring up hypotheticals and make up scenarios and try to decide what would be, you know, um, what students should do and what would be constitutional and what wouldn't. And um, and things like that. So just having gone through all of those law school exams with all of those hypotheticals, to be able to do that for my students is really just fun. Um, I was so 
I was so disinterested in civics when I was a freshman. Um, Can I come sit in your class? Like now I'm like, I want to, I want to, I want to go sit in her class. This is thrilling. Well, adults have often told me that lately when I describe what we're learning in, um, in class, they're like, I want to come to class. Like that would be so cool to have like a grown up civics class where we learn how to talk about really difficult things. Um, Getting angry. Hashtag, hashtag grown up civics class. That's what we yeah. need. Hashtag grown up civics. Maybe maybe that's your next podcast. Yeah. Hey, you know, um, we hadn't really planned to talk about this, but I have a couple of other questions just about mm-hmm. things that are happening in the classroom. Um, not only is this time in our country um, really interesting from the point of national politics, uh, and I imagine that that's a, a topic in the classroom. But also racial justice issues, um, uh, police brutality issues. Um, are those issues coming up in your classroom? If so, how? And um, I imagine that you have a diverse group of students in your class. Mm-hmm. And how are some of those issues going? So one of my best experiences as a teacher happened last year in an advanced placement geography class. And if you teach advanced placement human geography, one topic that you cover in unit three is essentially um, race, gender, culture, religion, um, all of the things that grownups don't know how to talk about, right? So you start preparing for this and, and the first time you teach it, you wonder like, how is this gonna go? Is this gonna be a disaster? Is this like, are kids gonna pay attention? Is it, are they gonna be able to talk about it? And then we start talking about it, whether it was um, race and we used definitions that sociologists use or culture or gender. And, um, you know, we discussed what a gender binary is and just to make sure that children, that, that kid, that young people, I mean, they're young adults at this point, just simply know the definitions of these things that people fight about all the time. Um, so some students would be like, wait, what's this binary thing? And we could talk about what people mean when they discuss a gender binary. And we could talk about all of those things. And what I particularly enjoyed uh, the day that we were talking about um, about race and, and that type serious issue, some of my students of color really led the class. And they talked about concerns they had, experiences that they had, and to listen to them kind of lead the class and me facilitate and everybody asking each other questions and learning from each other was possibly the most remarkable educational experience I've ever had. I was mostly just a facilitator and my students were pretty much teaching the class. So if you can set up, and another thing I do that I think is, is really helpful to set the tone for my class, because teaching government, kids are always like, oh, God, this could be this could be really awful. Um, or, you know, in, in geography to talk about some of those issues. I start off uh, my classes every year with this activity that I learned doing um, facilitations for uh, the Anti-Defamation League. And it's built on the idea and the word respect. And you think about R-E-S-P-E-C-T and students and I talk about words that begin with R, with E, with S, you know, P-E-C-T, that describe characteristics of a classroom that we need to feel safe 
and heard and able to share and learn and express opinions that might be different from uh, from other people's and um, push back on opinions and, and really be able to discuss and learn from each other. And to listen to kids come up with words that would enable them to share difficult issues and difficult experiences and difficult opinions is amazing. And I think that starting a class with that activity on the first day of class, and they know that we're operating from that foundation, it opens up uh, a lot of avenues for, for difficult subjects to come up. And my goal is to build trust among all our students and with myself, with them and me um, together, that we can talk about those things and learn from it without, uh, without anger and enmity, I guess. Um, we were talking about capitalism in terms of pie, you know, the other day. And you can argue about taxes and economic theory if you think about it in terms of pie. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, if um, if the three of us have a pie. Like, like right? pecan like pie or like 3.14592. It was chocolate pie. Your share pie. of the pie. My, yes, your share of the pie. Um, and I believe I, I started out being like, I uh, am the best maker of chocolate pie in the country. All right. Like my chocolate pie is the best. People really want to buy my pies. Um, and I said, well, what if what if I want to share a pie like with with you two? Um, if I eat three quarters of a pie, you are necessarily going to have less pie because there's a finite amount of pie. Right. And so we were talking about if markets could grow and um, things like that, uh, whether it's like markets and growth of wealth or, um, you know, taxes and things like that. We talked about it in terms of pie. Can it grow or is it finite? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So make bigger pies. Yes. Bigger pies, smaller pies, more pies, more pies less pies, no pies. Um, and then somebody said, well, uh, what if people can't afford pie? And I was like, well, what do you think? And then some people were like, well, could you lower the price of your pie? And then we talked about, well, if I'm a corporation, which I said I was, I was like, that might not be good for my shareholders. And, you know, so we start talking about this in terms of this fictional joking pie corporation with shareholders. And some kids are like, you need to donate more pie. I'm like, but that you did start off. You did start off by saying that you were going to give Matt and I part of your pie. So yes, chocolate you did start chocolate off in the world. donating chocolate pie. Absolutely, chocolate. Yeah. You, I'll give you a whole chocolate pie. I think this is so. I think this is so important here. You know, one of the things that Matt and I talk about so often in in relationships is is connection, right? Staying connected. You can be in conflict, but how do we remain connected? And what you're teaching these kids is in the political realm, and, and when you're talking about politics or these difficult topics, how to talk about them in a healthy way, that they're going to stay connected to each other where they don't have to agree. We don't have to believe the same thing about politics, but we can still be in relationship. We can still have fruitful conversation, productive conversation, and in the end, all kind of leave in a, in a better position. Yeah. And there was even one time uh, that we were having a, a, a terrific discussion and one student said something that as an adult, I just kind of went, huh, you think that's problematic, anybody? And some students in the class were like, oh, yeah. And 
but there was no anger. The, the child who said it was like, wait, what do you mean? And friends of his, you know, close friends were like, well, this is how that sounds to me. And there was this big discussion about what was said and what was heard and intent versus impact and, and all of those things. Um, and I found that student later in the day because I realized like it could have been a really difficult thing. And I said, how'd you feel about that? Did everything go down okay? And that student was like, yeah, it was an awesome day. Thumbs up, great. Um, so yeah. Um, you know, that just seems like what you're teaching there, what you're modeling, what you're accomplishing there seems like the skill or a skill at least that we all need more of, which is this ability to 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 have a have a place that is is safe, respectable, respectful, um, structured, contained enough for us to explore our challenging ideas and get both affirmation and feedback where needed. Um, that people can still be a part of that discussion and walk away from that discussion whole and connected. And that just seems like we need that. And I don't know that we have a place to really do that except for our insular bunkers of people who are like us. So we end up getting in these silos of people who think alike, who, who think like us. And then we never really get challenged. We don't get the feedback. We don't get the, uh, we, we don't get our edges softened or sharpened in the way that we need it. It sounds like you're accomplishing that in the classroom. I do my best. I mean, and kids come out with stuff um, on any and every side of the spectrum. And it's really, um, it's really gratifying to hear them question each other and discuss these things in an academic way and learn about it. And maybe, maybe that's one of the things that we manage to do is keep it academic and not personal. Um, I was talking to a, uh, you know, not one of my students, but a, a teenager. And I said, well, we usually don't talk about specific politicians. And um, the student who's not one of my students, actually not even at the school where I teach, was like, how does that even work? I was like, well, you can talk about policies in the way that policies work without talking about a politician that can be, um, you know, polarizing on either side of any spectrum, right? So whether you're talking about raising taxes, lowering taxes, uh, charity versus, um, you know, uh, support structures, you can talk about the way that these policies impact people and the economy and, you know, talk about the different ways that uh, people who might be on a more liberal or a more conservative spectrum play these policies out. You can talk about that in an academic way and understand why people might believe certain things without getting into, um, you know, this politician said that and this politician is bad or good or whatever. Policies are kind of, um, mm -hmm. you know, facts and we can take them logically wherever uh yeah you know our experience shows us that they could go and we can make our own own judgments about the way that we think those policies should go in terms of a society that we think is equal and just and fair for all of us if that makes sense 
Um, so I wanted to think about the policies and the policies that they're voting for. So, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, we might talk about a platform or I might assign, you know, go look at the, the Democratic platform or the Republican platform and see what issues and the differences in those issues. Um, and then even if we don't talk about it in class, I often tell them, you know, out and find more information about that subject and see if you think that we should have, you know, uh, greater taxes on capital gains or, you know, lower taxes on um, corporations or more taxes on corporations. It doesn't really matter to me which way they believe that taxes should go, but to know what they think about it and vote according to their well-founded beliefs I care a lot about that. Yeah, I think I think what's important too is you detach the policy from the personality of the politician because especially in in this polarized environment that we're in, there's so much baggage with with politicians that you almost yeah. can't you almost can't agree with certain policies if certain politicians are behind them because the the fear of being, you know, tainted with with everything else that goes along with that politician. Mm-hmm. So I love how how you remove policy from the personality and talk about each individual policy and its own merit and implications of it. Yeah, and and we'll continue to do that. Um, we'll see. Yesterday, I had uh, told students they played presidential bingo if they wished. They uh, <laughs> have these these boards that um, that people make, and I actually got one from C-SPAN, and it had you know this this universe of topics that could come up in the presidential debates. And you print out your presidential bingo card and you write topics in it. And then you listen to the debate and check it off when they, um, when they talk about, you know, certain issues. So I thought that was a, a way that students could uh, get into the first debate, especially if they weren't into politics really before they have to take this required class. And um, so I didn't require them to do the debate, but I, I set it up as presidential debate bingo um, and offered incentives to to participate in presidential bingo. But it sounded like a funny way. And then you have like your your board out that might have taxes or China on it. And you can uh, tally the amount of times politicians talked about those different issues and kind of get a, a real-time scoreboard of what either the moderator or whoever's questioning thinks is uh, important that night. So see, I, um, I, I continue. A friend of mine sent a different kind of activity for the debate. It was kind of fearful. <laughs> it, was a, it was a drinking game, right? It was take a shot every time Biden would say, come on, man, or take a shot every time Trump mentioned China or it's, it's pretty hysterical. And, and my response to my you, friend was, you, it terrifies me that you have that much alcohol in your house. <laughs> you could turn it into a workout too. You could do push-ups or, or, or burpees. burpees or something like air squats for each, each of these things. You could make it a really healthy, um, healthy activity there with burpees and um, celery sticks or <laughs> hey. Mary, I want to uh, shift a little bit to just how teaching is going right now. Um, just briefly, describe how you're t- how you're teaching students right now. Are you in class? Are you are you sometimes in class? Are you mostly virtual? What's happening? Right now, we are fully virtual. 
Um, and I'm not going to lie, I was terrified about it as we started the year. I was worried about not being able to get students to engage or talk or um, be involved in topics that, as y'all as rightly mentioned, can be really dry, you know, like kids can be really uninterested in um, you know, the three branches of government. How, how's it going teaching civics virtually? I'm, I'm assuming that this is your first time to do this virtually. How, how does it compare? So they have to, on Zoom, there are these little blue hands that go up and I have to try to get them to use that so that it's obvious. Um, because if not, you'll have kids talk. I have this wonderful problem that they will be talking over each other or like all of these physical hands will go up, but I can't see it. So I have to be like, yo, you have to use the little blue hand. Um, and they put the little blue hand up and then I go, you know, student by student to try to make sure that we hear all voices that want to share. Uh, but that first week I was having to make sure that people weren't talking over each other because they actually wanted to share, which is a fabulous problem to have, especially virtually. So as worried as I was about doing, um, doing the virtual civics and virtual geography, uh, to be able to ask them questions and they respond has actually been fabulous. Um, it looks like I actually see Mr. Matt's physical hand going up. Um, I, I do have, have a question. question. I do have a question. Yes, you have a question. What can I do for you? So I've been doing teletherapy with, with families and couples and thinking about its similarities or difference to being in my office. And couples therapy for most people is hard. It's not comfortable. Um, but in the office, we're sitting a few feet from each other or, you know, more six feet, more than six feet from each other, but we're close and we're right there. And it, sometimes it's really intense and tense. And I, I think that one aspect of doing, um, virtual therapy is that we're not as physically close to each other and there, the screen provides some distance and some level of protection almost. And that couples in some way, some couples in some ways can be more vulnerable to each other because they're not in the same room. And then also they, we can glance around the screen and see our own face. And so a friend of mine brought this up the other day that we can see our reactions to each other better in, in real time and the effect that that's having on couples counseling. Just thinking, I'm wondering about your own, reflections about how this virtual teaching learning environment could be enhancing your 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 teaching in classes right now well it's made in a in a different way than what you just stated it's made me exceptionally organized um exceptionally good at time management i have essentially agendas and hyperdocs so for me the uh the mechanics of teaching it's actually made me way more organized mm -hmm. And, and methodical about the way I put things together and need to assess and all of that. The thing that hasn't been enhanced is there's nothing that beats the energy of a classroom when kids are really flowing with discussion and, um, and really into it. So though it is nice to kind of be able to see your own face and, and some of those things that you're mentioning, I find that virtual is not as good as being in a classroom um, just because of that energy and the, the, the camaraderie that a lot of these students have together and just the laughter. There's not as much laughter and, um, 
as there was certainly in my class last year. Um, at some point, y'all mentioned laughter being a, a great medicine for relationships. It's also a great, uh, a great thing to bring a class together. And the more we can laugh together, the more it builds our trust. So I actually miss that camaraderie and the energy that happens when there's a really good class. Um, we've had some really good discussions and really good things happen virtually, but it's not the same feeling as you're all together in that classroom, um, you know, and, and that I, I just, I miss that and, and the energy and the fun and the laughter. And if you work with teenagers, you know, like they just keep you young. Like the energy of it is just so much fun. And there's not that. How do you feel? How do you feel your students are responding, and just in general to to this new environment? So my students are absolutely heroic. If you want to know the truth, they're showing up online at eight ten. I don't have many absences. They are taking four classes a day um, at ninety minute classes. They have homework. Um, you know, they're in virtually in class virtually four days a week. There's a day that they have to do asynchronous work, but I don't have many absences. Uh, and I have kids emailing me about, can I do, you know, can I do it this way? Can I do it that way? I mean, they're really, even though I know they're exhausted because after a day of virtual teaching, I'm 50 times more tired than I ever was from a day of physically being in the classroom with the students. So the students have that plus homework, plus practices, plus, you know, football meetings or practices and basketball and swimming and soccer and all of the other stuff that comes along with being a student these days. And I haven't had anybody really complain. They haven't complained. They are taking it better than many adults I know. So um, though there's huge challenges with virtual and I'm, you know, a little worried about figuring out how to engage students when we do hybrid and have some at home and some, um, some in the classroom, you know, it's been uh, by far better than what I could have hoped. So they're, they're holding, now they're tired and sometimes you can see the stress and sometimes a couple of them um, have been either early or a little bit late in class and I've had them open up to me a little bit. Uh, they're not, it's not all peaches and cream, but they're really soldiering through impressively. Um, it's, a, it's a great generation of kids that, uh, that the parents out there right now are raising, in my opinion. We we have just a minute. Um, we're just about to uh, conclude this, but you know, in a few years, I guess, looking back on this time, uh, there's so much unknown. E even now, you're talking about things that are working right now when we're talking today, but maybe different in a few weeks. As, as, the, as the model changes in a few weeks, uh, by the time people are listening to this, it might be very different. Who knows what 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 your teaching life will be like, what your students' life will be like, all of that. Um, so, what do you, in, in a couple of years from now, what do you think you'll look back upon and remember about this time? What do you what do you see? Um, let's see the closeness of certain friendships and family relationships 
that have actually improved during the pandemic. The support that um, some, especially teacher friends and I have had for each other right now has been absolutely life-giving when you need that. Um, My husband and my family, the support that we have given each other, I have two sons um, and sometimes uh, they're like, mom, you look stressed, are you okay? Uh, So to see them um, empathizing with me if I'm worried or nervous, or my husband is um, working out of Lake Charles doing some recovery work in Lake Charles, and uh, my sons and I will um, make him dinner so that he can just come home and relax. So trying to do things for each other, I think that closeness um, that my family and certain friends, that's what I'll treasure um, about this time and um, I'll remember in a, in a less positive way, just the nervousness about just the uncertainty of, like you said, uh, when we go back to school hybrid in two weeks, I don't have any idea if the um, mechanisms I've developed for teaching virtually is gonna work in a whole new system. Am I gonna be a first year completely new teacher again um, in two weeks? Or, you know, how long is it going to take me to figure that out? Well, we're all going to figure it out. We all figured out this virtual thing. We're going to figure out the next system as well. Um, but the uncertainty of it is really, um, I mean, it's, as I'm, I'm sure it is for everybody. I mean, uh, unsettling and nerve wracking and anxiety producing. And you've just got to go on. Um, it's all going to come together. So much of planning, though, is is dealing with uncertainty. It's focusing on what's in what's what's especially financial planning. Like, what's within my control? What can I what can I control? I don't know what two weeks is going to be like. Who knows what's going to happen a month from now? But what can I control today? And I know that you have a hard stop, so I don't want to I don't want to keep you any longer than we need to. But I just want to I, I love your energy. Like I'm, oh, I'm inspired, um, and I think that um, I think that you know sometimes sometimes we come onto these podcasts and. Depending on who who gets the guest, we never really know. Matt or I never really know what we're walking into. We think we're walking into one thing, but I'm leaving this, um, you know, inspired, just kind of energized. Uh, Let's go to class, Eric. I I, I want to. Can I sign it at eight ten? Can I uh, zoom on? Zoom link. No, you can you can create a grown up hashtag grown up civics if you'd like, and I'll uh, I'll lead that zoom. That'd be fun. Um, Hashtag grown up civics. I love it. I love it. Well, cool. Mary Dawn, thank you so much. Is there anything like any like 20 second closing statement that you want to make? Ooh, she's an attorney. In only 20 seconds because I know you got to go. <laughs> Our kids are going to be all right. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Our kids are going to be all right. That's beautiful. Yeah. Matt, Matt you got 10. Well, you just right. listen anyway because that's all you get paid to listen. So you I, get you get five. I, I think it's this is a hard time for a lot of people, but in the end, I think our families are going to be all right. Yeah, it's good. Mary Dot, I love what you're teaching. I love how you're teaching kids, uh, seniors and, and, and younger to talk about hard things in healthy manners. That's what, that's kind of what started Matt and I off uh, with building us. Um, and at the end of the day, it's all about building relationships. And like we like to say, invest in your relationships. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Dr. Matt Morris maintains an active private practice for couples and families in the greater New Orleans area. To learn more about his work, visit drmattmorris.com. Eric Garcia can be found online at plan-wisely.com. 
His branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance services offered through Garcia Financial Group, LLC. Entities listed are not affiliated.